cow gang you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the rec poker podcast uh, i'm your host jim reed bluffsterini in the home games and you can find out more about me and all the other members of the wrecking crew by going to rec.poker slash crew i'm going to let them introduce themselves to you in a moment but first i want to tell you a little bit about rec poker it's a free community um, anyone can join all it takes is an email address and a smile Go to rec.poker right now and sign up. You can check out free videos, the forums, playing the home games, uh, join our conversations here. Uh, There's a lot of great ways to learn more about poker and to share your love of poker with the rest of the poker world. Um, So every week, uh, we thank our sponsors, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and the one and only Mark Prashan from Website Amp. Uh, This week, we're going to be looking at another post by Website Mark. Um, but first, I want to uh, just let everyone here introduce themselves and uh, tell Rec Poker Nation a little bit about them. Uh, well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 on PokerStars. And I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Keith Brandt, and I'm Monkey System everywhere. I'm Kim Kilroy. I am PatPat, PatPat33, or 30, 30, 56 in the home game. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me on Twitter at, at Taylor underscore Moss or Gopherboy TJM in the uh, Rec Poker home game. Speaking of the Rec Poker home game, uh, it's Monday night. We are recording this as uh, many of us are stealing each other's chips in the home game uh, that we run so often here, thanks to John Somsky. And uh, every week we, uh, we take a post from the Rec Poker forums and we talk about it here on the air. Uh, this week, we're joined again by premium member Eric Anderson. You know him, you love him. Uh, he's our Poker Tracker 4 friend. He knows a lot about uh, that kind of stuff. He's an active member in the forums and our strategy conversations. Eric Anderson, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. And uh, what's your handle when you're uh, playing at Rec Poker there? How can people know who they are talking to? I'm E. Anderson 85 on Poker Stars. There you go. So look out, folks. He's there. Um, so this week, I think I said at the top, we're looking at another post from uh, website Mark, and this one's about um, betting busted draws. So this is from a cash session. He played a 1-3 session at the Bellagio recently, uh, where Mark found himself on the river with a busted draw and wasn't sure if this was a bet the bottom part of my range situation or more of a give it up because you've already been called a few times and are going to lose more money situation. Haha, <laughs> yes. Uh, indeed. Mark, that's a hard spot to know, isn't it? Because um, it's usually one or the other in that kind of a situation. So he says, I think in both cases, I was the aggressor in position pursuing the front door flush draw, got called down along the way and ended up with air on the river. What are some of your mental checkpoints for how you handle these situations? What would you recommend for sizing if you'd bet there sometimes? Uh, so everyone's had a chance to, uh, we got a post, a response in the forum post here by Taylor Moss. Taylor, why don't you lead us off with uh, some thoughts on what you're thinking about when you're in that spot? Yeah, uh, I think this can be so simply described as it depends. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's it's such a tough situation. And uh, Chris actually put together one of the seminars uh, from for Rec Poker probably a year ago, talking about betting lines and telling a story and what did these mean and you know how did the stories change when different cards come out on the turn and the river and things like that. And 
it it's so hard to like describe all that into just you know one simple forum post or one simple podcast to talk about all those different things or even you know a three-hour seminar that chris put together on it that probably still doesn't even do it justice but um i mean there's some things that you can like be aware of when you're thinking about these spots and you know it isn't always just i have the bottom of my range here i need to bet or I've been called a few times. I need to give up. Uh, it, it always depends on the variables that are on the board. You know, how has the story potentially changed? How has it stayed the same? Um, what would, you know, our opponent be thinking in these spots? Uh, so it, it's, it's so much an it depends situation. And I jokingly, you know, start off with that, but like, it really does depend a ton. It depends on board texture. It depends on, you know, what was the draw that was out there? Um, and, you know, what other hands do you play in this similar manner? And would you be betting big with, what would you be betting small with? Uh, what are you trying to get your opponent to fold? I think that's also a really important thing to think about, you know, if they've been calling, two streets already. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh yep. Now this strong hand that they have is now going to fold. Well, it better be, you know, for a pretty darn good reason uh, with that river card. So um, there's just so many things to think about and really tough to like just boil down to uh, you know, one simple response, but you got to be thinking about a lot of those different things and um, really just, you know, use all your poker knowledge to make the best decision that you can. So um, I'll pause there and let someone else chat for a bit. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to keep talking in circles because this is a topic you can talk in circles about. Yeah, the old hashtag, it depends, right? That is a tough one. And there's a lot of competing factors. Um, I think one, uh, one, you know, when we're in these spots where a, 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 a flush draw, uh, excuse me, talking myself in circles here we're in these spots where it's bricked out so, you know sometimes we're going to have the broken flush draw sometimes we're going to have the uh a strong hand there instead and i think for me it, it really depends it really depends on on how, sort of as taylor is saying it's more about the ranges than anything else at that point because the sizing is going to be a function of the board texture and the range um Yeah. <laughs> here, John, why don't you rescue me here for a second? You jump in here and I'll compose my thoughts a little better. Well, one of the things uh, that Mark mentioned was, was this a spot where you want to bet the bottom part of your range? And that's generally a good idea for balance. But what you also want to keep in mind is make sure that your story makes sense. Um, because it's real important that you don't just throw a bet out of there that isn't consistent with the way that you played the rest of the hand. Now, in this case, because he has led the whole way, betting on the river is a reasonable thing. However, he has also bet like he has a broken draw as well. So it it's really tough to say, you know, I, I don't have the answer of what's right in this situation, but uh, you just do need to make sure that your story all adds up. Sorry, Kim. I just wanted to say on the other side of things with flush draws, it's not exactly answering Mark's question, but when you have, I'll often, uh, if I'm the pre-flop aggressor and I am called, by a, an opponent that's in the blinds or out of position to me. And they check call 
and I have a, a decent hand as, as in middle pair, top kicker, top pair, medium kicker, something like that. I will bet bet. And then if the, if the, and if there's a front end flush draw and I get called twice, I will check the river planning to let them bluff their missed flush draw. And I have caught, got, made a lot of chips that way rather than just betting again. And, and um, if I think they're, if I think that it's the type of opponent that will, that is capable of betting a missed draw. So in inducing the bet on the river and then using my hand now as a bluff catcher to make some chips that way, because if I bet and they've missed their draw, they're just going to fold anyway. Yeah, so you can actually kind of use that position um, against them a little bit in that way, which is uh, hashtag villain dependent. Yeah, Chris? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that I've loved what everyone has said about, you know, paying attention to the villain. What kind of villain are they? But then it is it comes back both Taylor and Kim sort of reference this as well. But just it's really about that board, too, for me, the the board like. So like an example might be like we have, you know, um, queen jack of some suit and but but it's an ace high board. Right. And um, it's ace seven five with two spades and we've queen jack of spades and we've been kind of barreling through representing the maybe we're thinking we're representing the ace, but then we're, you know, kind of barreling towards these these spades or whatever. Now, if I get called twice and I've I've barreled, you know, presumably I kind of did maybe a small bet on the flop and then a bigger bet on the turn. And if I've actually done sort of that pattern of betting and I've reached this now, whatever the, you know, we get a brick on the river. I don't know. Like that's, that's one that I'm less likely to go for than maybe a board that has some more obvious sort of uh, draws for my opponent. That that because like if they have a pretty obvious like, you know they've got a weak ace high right they're they're in bluff catching mode they've been check calling the whole time there's not a lot else going on on this board that's a board that I might give up on but if there's if there's um, a board where there's like a lot of other things in play where they might have some draws themselves where maybe the board changed dramatically maybe like it was all these low cards and suddenly there's a queen on the board. Um, like those are some boards where I think we can, we can uh, go after them a little bit more. So it's, I think it's really paying attention to how the board has changed uh, over time and like really thinking about what is it that our opponent has. If, if we're talking about this specific situation where it's a potential triple barrel, like what is it that our opponent has called us twice with that, we now hope to then get them off of here. And does this always look like we're just barreling a draw or could we be representing something else that is going to scare them away because they've been hanging on with, you know, maybe it was an eight high board and they had an eight and now it's, it's gotten a lot worse for them. And I think that's a board that I'm more comfortable sort of barreling at. Anyway, I'm yammering on. No, I, I like that. And I think that's something. Or here, here, Eric, why, is, do you have some of that? Oh, I like the way Chris ended there about thinking um, that way. And, and the last part of Mark's question was, what size do you bet? And uh, the way I kind of balance my bet sizes, I always think, well, what if I had the other one? If I have the you know top two pair and the flush draw completes, I ask, well, 
what would I bet here if I have the flush? And uh, since we have a busted flush draw and the board's ace high, I say, well, what would I bet here with ace queen to try to get the busted draws to call or, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, but always think about your range and what your other hands would do instead of just what you have. I love that. I think that's so important for us to be thinking about being unpredictable in the sense that we, we're going to use the same sizing for our bluffs and our value hands. And, and that is an easy way, especially if we're kind of getting used to ranging uh, or just range analysis generally. We don't have to visualize our entire range. Let's just visualize the parts that we would be betting with, whether they're bluffs or value, and then think about what would the sizing be for that and, and trying to make that consistent so we don't give that kind of information away. Um, and I think one thing that we haven't talked about is, you know, we only have so much information going into hands like this, but if we're going to be thinking about whether we're going to triple barrel a busted draw or not, when we're on the flop, thinking about that first barrel, we should be thinking about the villain, the, the player type of the villain, because we, we're not going to get a lot more information about that over the next two streets. Um, so we're already going to have some assumptions about how sticky they are. And then, you know, the stack size and the sizing that we use, if we, if, if we have a plan, this is a villain I'm going to take that third barrel with, you know, let's make sure that in a, in a deep cash game, this isn't going to be as relevant, but I know a lot of our listeners are tournament players. You might need to leave yourself a big enough pot bet on the river to actually pull off uh, that bluff. If you don't have enough chips, then you're might be sizing up on the flop to get it in on the turn or something like that as well. Um, but you, what you don't want to do is just be get to the river and think, oh, well, now what? Uh, yeah, I didn't have a plan earlier. I don't have the right number of chips for the pot size. And I didn't even really know if this was someone that I was going to pull the trigger on. And it's not like you need to be 30 moves ahead, but in spots like this, you're on the flop, you have a flush draw, you're considering how to proceed, just think, think through the, the stack size and um, see if you can make a, 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 river, a hypothetical river decision on the flop. Yeah, Rob? I think um, we're talking about a 1-3 cash game. You've got a lot of really splashy opponents, a lot of people that like to throw chips around. Um, you need to really, I think in these spots, everything that Chris said, Obviously, you know, you want to look at the board texture to see how that hits your range versus their range. And you know that if they're calling from the big blind, for instance, their range is like everything. So then you have to understand and be have been watching them the whole time to understand how light are they calling down? Has Have they folded on the river when they've called down all the way with that third pair? Did they ever fold on a, to a river bet? Right. Or have they always just called that river bet? So in other words, never try to bluff a calling station. So <laughs> understanding the, the types of opponents that you're playing against will really better inform you whether you can make that bluff or not. Yeah, that's a great point. Rob is really good at taking notes live. And he's he's an inspiration for me when it comes to like paying attention to relevant factors at the table. Because I need to work on that when I'm playing live because I'm just used to having my HUD tell me everything. Uh, from playing online, but I do think that's the kind of thing that even just you can just have the back of your brain start thinking about, oh, okay, well, this isn't a, you know, uh, like we said earlier, 
gives you a little more uh, information on the flop, then maybe you can make some better decisions to set, set yourself up for success there. Taylor? Yeah. And then I think the other thing to, to think about and consider that with this is like, not all misdraws are created equal. Mm. Uh, different misdraws have different equity, different misdraws have different blocker effects uh, to, to better hands. And those can be really crucial informa- pieces of information. Uh, you know, if it's, you know, there's a potential for a straight out there and you hold one of those cards, it wasn't the straight that you were going for or wasn't the flush that you were going for, but um, you do hold one of those blockers to, you know, what one of the nut hands would be. Um, that can be really valuable. Uh, and those can be, you know, the better bluff candidates to use when you're then using bigger sizing and trying to get your opponent to fold because uh, you having that card means your opponent <laughs> is less likely to have that card, which also makes it likely that your other card could be uh, one of the other uh, relevant cards that would give you the nuts. Um, And then the other side of that too is uh, your opponent could be drawing. Uh, There's different times where uh, you have the better draw and you have more equity. And I don't know how many times I uh, smile at the poker table, but it's always when I check uh, after giving up and I had the winning hand the whole way. Um, you know, my, my bluff, my semi bluff on the flop and turn kept getting called. And, you know, I finally put my tail between my legs and check on the river, but um, I had uh, King Jack going for a straight and you had Jack nine and uh, my King high wins now. I, I mean, those situations are, um, they happen. So, you know, but just be aware of those and, you know, use, use some of that information to help figure out when you should be betting. Um, and when you can, you know, give up on a hands, but still have, you know, some equity. That's a great point. Not, not only the blocker uh, perspective, but, you know, ha- having showdown value, even when it's only high card showdown value, that should make you more inclined to get that to showdown. So it, sometimes it's going to be awkward because your nut flush blocker is also, uh, you know, a high enough card that gets you to showdown value. Um, in this case, we're talking about busted draws anyway, but you might be more inclined to bluff with the, you know, three, six of hearts than you would the, uh, ace three of hearts, for instance, because that ace is going to be good. Even though you're blocking their own draws as well, it's still going to be good. Um, a non-trivial amount of the time. Um, I know Chris has this, uh, favorite little spot where he's got the straight draw. There's a flush draw on the board. Or Chris, you've talked about this where there's like two draws and one comes in and you get to bluff on it. Um, but actually, that's more about a, a draw that comes in, I guess. Actually, than... I, I mean, I I love that spot, but uh, I think the the founder of that club is Mr. Somsky. Oh yeah, yeah. Poker Thanks, Geek loves that. Yeah, actually, I like it particularly if you're going for a straight because a straight is less visible. Yes, but there's also a flush draw on the flop. So it looks very much like you're going for the flush draw and you're playing against a relatively tight pit player because they're likely to not believe, not see the straight when, if that comes in and pay you off. And if the flush comes in, you can represent that and probably steal the pot. Yeah. So it's a, it's a mix between, cause you know, a lot of hands that aren't typically that aren't, you wouldn't consider to be draws they're still drawing to improve whether it's to a straight or a two pair or something else, you know, until you get to the river um, you're kind of still on a draw. Um, And whether, you know, whether the draw obviously comes in or, 
you improve in a way when the draw uh, busts, then that is a way to leverage some extra chips from, from players that might not be paying attention to that. Well, what else? Uh, we've talked about blockers. We've talked about um, our own hand strength. We've talked about ranges interacting with boards. Um, we've talked about choosing the lower portion of our range to uh, select when it comes to these candidates for raising. What else? Is there anything else we should be thinking about before we send website mark off into the world? I think sizing is important. Yes. And I think that, especially when playing live, that I've noticed um, the good players will, they'll make some big bets with bluffs and with good hands. And they're the ones that do it equally with both. Mm -hmm. So I think that the sort of the 25% bet is fine against someone that doesn't have anything anyway, and they're just going to fold or they've missed a draw too. I don't think a 25% that's going to make someone with a value hand fold. Um, but I think a pot or a pot and a half size bet might make somebody mm -hmm. fold. Mm -hmm. So I think sizing is kind of important, especially in cash games where, where stacks are deeper. And, and just to add to that, building that into your game, because I'm working on that as well, building that into your game, it's not just your bluffs, but now on that yeah. flush draw board, let's say you got a set of nines and there's a flush draw on the board and now it looks like you're trying to push somebody off the pot and you just get paid. And, mm -hmm. and so like having that in your game, it's not just like, this is good because my bluffs are now going to get folds. You're actually sometimes going to make some big pots for yourself when you've got some real strong value as well. Keith, did you have something to add there? Yeah, I wanted to piggyback on something Rob said earlier about uh, player type. Um, he said never uh, bluff a calling station. And that's true, obviously. But don't try to tell a story to a person that doesn't listen. Mm. You know, if it, it's yeah, we all, we talk about making you know telling the right story, but if we're up against a player who's only focused on his own hand and he likes it, it's just <laughs> not worth it. And yeah, that's pretty common at one three. Great point, Keith. Yeah, we yeah. talk about uh, like setting the right traps for the prey that you're looking for. And if you yeah. use too sophisticated a trap, they're just going to walk right past it. And you, you should just be using a club. Just hit them over the head with this club of a value hand. That's how you beat these, a lot of these players. So you'll you'll just trick yourself out of some chips otherwise. <laughs> Guilty is charged there for yeah. sure. Yeah. A club, that's a good prop in a stream, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> now you're talking. There you go, streamer Keith. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess we, we have talked about this, but the, the last thought I'll just leave us with is telling that story making the story make sense you have to have you have to be repping a hand you can't just be repping strength you have to be saying oh i had this two pair or i had this set the whole way and have that have that logic applied to a large enough number of combos of hands in your range that your opponent's actually going to be dissuaded by it if it's like oh well that line makes sense if he has all the different flush and straight draws or exactly ace ace then, you know, you're, you're not, you're still not telling a very good story because most of the combos in your hands are, are busted draws. So you've got to, you got to take it, take a line that makes sense. Um, and just like you would value target or bluff target someone, you have to kind of 
tell that story to them as well, make that presentation about a specific holding or at least a, a fairly specific set of holdings. All right, well, we got some, we found a couple uh, rabbit holes there, didn't we gang? That tends to happen around here from time to time. Well, I guess I want to thank uh, website Mark for the post, but also for his sponsorship of the website of the, uh, the podcast, along with Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. And thanks Taylor, Rob, Kim, Keith, John, Eric, and Chris. Y'all rock. See you later.